Support for the Aero Podcast comes from Vima. Vima is a construction company with over 50 projects done inside and outside of the country. Later during the break, we hear from a representative who talks more about Vima. You can find them at vima-ir.com. That's v-i-m-a-ir.com. The Invitation by Oraya Mountain Dreamer. This is the AR Podcast. It doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you ache for and if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing. It doesn't interest me how old you are. I want to know if you risk looking like a fool for love, for your dream, for the adventure of being alive. It doesn't interest me what planets are squaring your moon. I want to know if you've touched the center of your own sorrow, if you've been opened by life's betrayals or have become shriveled and closed from fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own, without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine or your own, if you can dance with wildness and let the ecstasy fill you to the tips of your fingers and your toes. It doesn't interest me to know where you live or how much money you have. I want to know if you can get up after the night of grief and despair, weary and bruised to the bone and do what needs to be done to feed the children. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in the empty box. Don't worry about being successful, but work toward being significant. And the success will naturally follow. Oprah Winfrey So I knew that there was a lot of potential and I had a lot of opportunity. I also felt guilt that I was taking a year off, so I wanted to make the most of that opportunity. And I knew that I wanted to learn as much as I can and I was going to learn through experience and not through academia. So I wanted to learn about art, basically. That was my objective. Because of the Farsi language and again because of things like war and Engelab, we've been able to become unified to some sort. But we're not as unified as we should be as a nation. And that's all because uh, geographically we're positioned in a place where you would have so many different tribes making Iran all together.
It's such an amazing feeling to be back. I really miss you guys, but I've been doing work, and hopefully you'll see that in the upcoming weeks. A few days ago, I met a very interesting person. She was really easy to reach and was very welcoming. One of the most amazing people I've ever met, who has a lot of fresh ideas and is implementing them in an app she is the founder of. Piade is trying to have people to get to know this city better and to let them know about the events that are happening around them. It's a very popular application in my country, so without further ado, please welcome Lena Lefay. This is the AR Podcast. describe to me where I am and what am I basically looking at? Okay, so you're somewhere uh, geographically located in central Tehran uh, at the cross-section of Envelope Street and Pur Musa. Um, as you may be aware, Envelope Street is one of the uh, more historical streets of the city and it has a lot of um, uh, history and background attached to it. Um, And uh, in, the, in this particular building that we are in right now is um, a building that was constructed in 1309, close to 100 years old. And it was made during the first Pahlavi or late Qajar era. Uh, the architecture has obviously been changed throughout time, um, but it still has a very... Um, um, I, I wouldn't say historical, but... As, mm, modern historical um, aspect to it, I guess. And uh, you are in my office. Um, as you can see, I haven't really painted the walls. I, and I love that. The, yes. the thing is, being an architect, you kind of enjoy the little things in life. <laughs> so when I come into the to your office, the first thing I really enjoyed was the fact that your walls are completely nude, basically. Yes. There's no paint on it. And that really, really got me. So, yeah. I thought, I, I thought good, good choice, very good choice. Well, so the reason was that uh, we decided to paint this office ourselves. So, um, it's uh, four, um, basically four units all attached together that makes our entire office space. Yeah. And we have 45 people working in this four units all together. And uh, so, when we were in our old office, um, there was a volunteer team from our from our own employees that said that they would do the they would help with the renovations. And part of that renovation process was painting the walls. So we were able to paint the walls without with a lot less of a cost than um, it would be if we had contracted it outside to a contractor or uh, somewhere similar. Um, but then um, when our kids started painting, what we realized was that um, basically we underestimated the project and yeah. the project was much bigger than they thought it would be. Yeah. So uh, as a first choice, I, was, uh, I said to them that some of the rooms can remain unpainted and obviously because this was my room, it could have been unpainted, not painted because I wouldn't care much. Yeah. And, uh, but after a while, it started turning into its own style and I just left it. Slowly. Good. Yeah. Leave it. Yeah, yeah obviously. Looks, looks the only problem is that if you get close to it, it has some re residents from the plaster. Yeah. But I can paint something on top of it, like uh, something nude, like an acrylic yeah. color that's just uh, yeah, yeah, just to get rid of this um, residents. Yeah. Uh, when I contacted your assistant, fine, uh, she said, uh, like, Eden, you'll be free at this time and everything was perfect. So I, I was thinking, what sort of office am I going to go to? Like, you know, because I'm thinking, like, you know, what you're doing is pretty modern in, like, you know, in Tehran. So I'm thinking of a very modern building, very, like, you know, I'm imagining this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I come into the office and I'm like, well, okay, this is not, not what I had in mind. This is completely different. And uh, the sheer number of, like, young people who are working here is just, you said 45 people? Yes. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. To, to, to basically gather all these people around each other, that's, that's pretty nice. Because um, I believe one of the factors that is really like helping your project is the fact that you've got a lot of young people with, lot, you know, with a lot of young ideas. Yes. You know, like around you and like they're coming up with ideas every day. So exactly. Young team really, is amazing. Yeah. It's a powerful team in my uh, belief. And uh, obviously has a lot of challenges. Uh, but it has a lot of long-term potentials, yeah. uh, in my opinion. And I think the most important thing is that uh, because of the uh, social um, 
the social environment that we have around us in Iran, um, a lot of the people growing up don't find communities where they can belong to. And the most important thing that Piada is giving to them is a community where they feel like they are a part of. And not only do they feel that way, they are actually a part of it and they are contributing to it on a daily basis. And uh, that all together brings a lot of synergy, brings a lot of potential uh, and a lot of creativity, a lot of diversity. And it's definitely one of the main factors uh, driving our success today. I see. Okay. Uh, do you think you are talented? Talented. Uh, well, yes, in certain fields, I guess I could say I am talented. Of course. Uh, but it depends on what we're talking about. So I'm not talented in, uh, for example, I'm not a sports person at all. So I don't, I don't have any talents. I don't have any. I don't have much physical talents. Yes. But um, I do have some talent. The thing is, uh, I believe in this. Like you know, each and every one of us have come to this world. We have our own talents. We have to like do something about it, right? Mm -hmm. But the fact that like you know, we have a lot of people who don't really realize what their talent is, and they just like just let it be, mm -hmm. and they never realize it basically. So I really respect people who have found their talents because yeah. I believe I haven't. Like I'm still searching for the one talent that I'm like you know like you know I, I know I brought to this world because of that. So, uh, do you think you found the talent with Piade, or is it like, you know? Uh, I want to say I found, I found my talent with Piade, because I think uh, Piade, one of the reasons that I was able to launch Piade was because I was aware of some talents that I had. And um, so you might be asking, what are those talents? Um, I know for a fact that I'm very creative. And I've learned through Piade that I am more of a creator versus someone, uh, for example, who would be a, a research-based person. Uh, for whatever reason, right or wrong, I like to create things from the start, from scratch, other than uh, trying to look at precedents and seeing what has happened in the world. Uh, which is not that uh, always a good approach. I feel like somewhere in between they both have to meet. But for me, uh, being original and being uh, creating new ways is a value. So I um, pay a lot of attention to it. And obviously it's one of the things that makes me me today. Yes. And um, so this is one of my talents, I guess. And um, I don't know, the other talents, well, uh, again, through Piada, I realized that um, I guess I could be um, good at managing and leader leadership, and I guess that is something that is uh, driven from talent, um, and uh, especially the leadership part, because management is, are skills that you can always learn. And um, I'm um, talented at, I'm, I'm a good designer, uh, I don't practice design anymore, uh, and I never really professionally practice design, but uh, I've always had really good taste, uh, and these are things that people keep telling me. So um, I was going to ask you that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you believe you have, you have good taste, or is it like? Uh, yes, because um, I, um, I guess it, um, it turns into. Um, for example, I like my own taste, so I guess I do think I do have good taste. But it's mainly because uh, I'm telling you these things with confidence today because I've seen it in the mirror of others projecting them back at me, and I've seen them numerous times. And now I feel like, okay, I can say that I do own this talent. Yes. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much it. So whatever kind of type of talent that I may have, it's definitely within the uh, more of a creative dimension. I understand. You uh, lived in another country, mm -hmm. right? Uh, did you uh, feel like, you know, the thing is, uh, I kind of believe that like, the people of Iran, they're not, they're not united. Yes. We are living in a city which, like, we, we have a lot of, like, migrations to Tehran or something. I don't know if that's the problem. I have no idea. I can tell you what the problem is, actually. I've done research on this. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yeah. So, I'm asking the perfect person about this. Yeah. So, it's, again, it's one of my own theories, which I've made from scratch. <laughs> okay, I But it was actually research-based. Um, should I continue or were you going to say No, something? please tell me. Yeah. Because um, I know whatever I would say is... Yeah, this uh, un, you know, the the fact that we're not united is very visible, and you can't deny it. And I think everyone knows it. And it's one of the main reasons that we are still a developing country, and we still have a really long way to go. And um, I think it's the main driving factor between pretty much all of our problems today. 
And um, so I had an opportunity at grad school. Um, I had a class with a professor who was a, um, he was teaching us about the history of cities, but he was a philosopher and um, great lectures. I learned so much from it. Um, so for the final paper, I had to, um, each one of us had to uh, work on um, a section, a part of history where we felt like uh, something had happened uh, due to another reason, due to a contingent reason. So for example, because there were not enough potatoes in Ireland, people traveled to the United States and therefore made the United States. So if there hadn't become a, f um, famine in if a famine hadn't appeared in Ireland, maybe the United States would not have been the way it is today. So I decided to focus on Iran and um, I started looking into the fact that we have changed um, uh, our capital cities uh, 32 times um, and we have the Guinness World Record of that. And throughout our history, we've changed our capital city 32 times. That's and amazing. that's a lot. That's a big number. <laughs> that's and, uh, well, obviously looking into it a bit and then referring back to what we have always, we had learned in school, um, I, I've started realizing that we've had many different dynasties and we've had many different emperors and uh, kings or etc. etc. Uh, and every time that basically, uh, I guess you could say, call it a dynasty, a dynasty had changed. Um, the capital would also change with it. So because Iran is geographically positioned in a location where um, so many different empires and tribes and etc. had always been um, um, helping in the making of this particular land, uh, you had always had various tribes living here all together. And these tribes were never united because they never really had to be because the concept of a nation was never a concept until very recently. Like, I think it's only been 200 years where nations have become something that uh, humans are looking at and believing in. So um, imagine 2,000 years ago or 1,000 years ago where you had this piece of land which was very vast during the um, Persian Empire, and it was made from different tribes, and all of these tribes at one time would have found... Um, uh, would have been able to uh, basically gain power uh, and control all of them. But they were controlling various tribes and they were not just controlling one tribe. And because uh, they didn't really respect or believe in the other tribes, they would obviously change their capitals because they want to say that we have the power and they would honestly not take into um, recognition that these other tribes are also living under the same name or flag or whatever it is. Um, and basically, uh, they would not really work towards unification of these tribes. But whereas if you go to um, European uh, countries, you could see that every uh, country was made of one tribe. And that one tribe then turned into a country. So they had unification from the very beginning. Imagine if all of us, if all of us today in Iran were Turks, or if all of us were Baluch or Kurd, we would have so much more unification the way that they have unification. But basically this never happened and we've, um, through realizing that we've had a capital change throughout time, I realized that, okay, then this tribe thing is a big issue, then this tribe thing is actually creating, making us not, be, uh, not allowing us to become unified today until Reza Shah, I think it was, or I think maybe sometime in the Raja era, the concept of Iran actually became Iran and um, the, um, so basically um, the country was formed and we, we knew that where, where we stood in this geographical era and what our limitations were and who's going to be inside of these lands and who's going to be outside of these lands as a neighboring country. But we've always, but since then, we've never really worked into wanting to unify ourselves, but um, with the helps of, for example, um, our uh, elementary school books where everyone is speaking one language, everyone is reading Baba Ab Nanda Maman Abdadya, or however you say it. And um, because of the Farsi language, and again, because of things like war and Engalab, we've been able to become unified to some sort, but we're not as unified as we should be as a nation. And that's all because uh, geographically we're positioned in a place where you would have so many different tribes making Iran all together. So uh, this has a actually very historical and cultural reason behind it. Um, and yes, it's one of our biggest problems today, unfortunately.
So uh, one of the resulting factors in a, a cultural dimension, I would say, or social dimension, is that, for example, today, if there is a problem in the city or the country, the, uh, any Iranian would uh, start thinking about their own benefits uh, before thinking about the benefits of the whole community as a whole or the whole nation. So, for example, they're always going to go like, what if it, what's in it for me? What's going to happen to me if I, for example, don't participate in the rising of the dollar? If I don't purchase dollars, everyone else is going to be purchasing it. So there's going to be so I'm not going to get anything from it. I'm not going to benefit from it. Whereas if you had a higher vision, if you had unification, if you knew that if you all stop purchasing dollars, it would benefit all of us greatly to great extent. Then obviously we would have never been in this place, in this um, situation, the same That's first place. Right. Yeah. So fine. Uh, this was a like I was not imagining. <laughs> this is you know this type of like description of the of the problem I was going to ask you basically. So uh, did you uh, think about this and then you said okay fine we need to have some sort of a website or something? No, no. Unfortunately. Um, well, I wouldn't say unfortunately uh, that just came out, um, but this wasn't the driving factor behind Piada. Piada, the reason that uh, Piada shaped was because of the disconnect between uh, locals and the city. And um, why I decided to focus on that is a whole different question. So why did you? <laughs> so you want me to speak about that? No, the thing is, the thing is, I ask. I don't know if you saw it or not on the Instagram page and on Twitter. I, I think I tagged you on Twitter too. I yeah. don't know if you saw it or not. Uh, yes. I asked a lot of people to like you know ask me questions, like you know to uh, to be able to ask you. So uh, one of the questions was this, and uh, I will basically mainly focus on that later on. But uh, here we are. So tell okay. me. Okay. Uh, so basically. Um, Again, during school, because uh, I graduated, um, I studied my, um, I spent my undergrad and graduate years uh, abroad, so I, I wasn't in Iran for that. And um, I remember during school, I took a year off uh, for uh, during undergraduate years, and um, I traveled, uh, I used to live in Vancouver, I was studying geological engineering, and uh, that was a, um, um, basically, um, a degree that I was not interested in and it was um, I liked engineering I was good at engineering I was good with numbers and um, it helped me structure my mind definitely and I, I already had structured my but I wasn't into it and I was mostly attracted to arts and uh, so I decided to take a year off and also the fact that Vancouver the city was a very small city and it was um, it was to, um, actually um, turned pushing me towards a depression mode. So I really didn't want to be in that city anymore uh, due to personal reasons. And I felt like I wanted to take a year off and go travel the world as much as I can. Obviously, I knew I couldn't drop from school and do that. Uh, my parents would not allow that and I would not have the funds for it. But I decided to, um, in the form of an exchange student to two other universities, in metro um, coincidentally in metropolitan cities, I decided to travel. So the first one was in Toronto, so I went to Toronto in, I think it was September 2010, and uh, I stayed there for four to five months. I, uh, I was studying at the University of Toronto, taking some of my courses and some art courses on the side, and then after that I moved to London, and um, I spent, I think it was six months there, and uh, again I was focusing on my uh, courses um, at school, like I was taking classes that was directly linked to my engineering program. But I had a lot of time to explore. So what happened during those two um, semesters, or I would say a whole year, uh, was that I, um, so I knew that there was a lot of potential and I had a lot of opportunity. I also felt guilt that I was taking a year off, so I wanted to make the most of that opportunity. And I knew that I wanted to learn as much as I can, and I was going to learn through experience and not through academia. So I wanted to learn about arts, basically. That was my objective. And so I started traveling, I started traveling the city, I started part participating in uh, events as much as I could, um, going to different museums, galleries, um, even things that weren't related to art because um, I realized that like, any, any experience is adding to me as a person and it's uh, building up my um, basically personality, my confidence, and it's making me become a lot more reassured of where I stand in the world. And uh, so I started experiencing things as much as I could during that year. And um, 
one of the most amazing things that happened was that I, I was um, mostly in London, you could say. I was alone. I didn't have that many friends there. And, um, well, obviously the people that I knew were all occupied with their daily lives. And I was more of a, you wouldn't say tourist, but I would, uh, obviously didn't have as much as work that they did during that time. So uh, I had a lot of free time and I could have either sit at home and felt homesick because I had the tendency of feeling homesick or I could have just gone out and explore and I chose to go out and explore and soon enough the city became my friend and um, I started realizing that through this uh, relationship that I've developed with the city, I'm starting to mm, just be exposed to so many different opportunities that it has to offer. And when I say it has to offer, I mean even the museum that's placed, that's located in a city, I think is an offering of the city because if that city didn't have that land, if it didn't have that, um, um, what do you call it, character, if it didn't have that program, if it didn't have that vision, it wouldn't have that museum to be offering it to you. Or any other program that's in the city, or even the streets, nothing, even things that aren't um, designed to be there, but have just happened to be there. And um, I realized that through the, these interactions, I'm getting so many opportunities, and I'm being exposed to so much, and I'm learning so much, even through the uh, experiences that I'm not enjoying. I'm actually learning more about myself through those experiences because I'm realizing what I don't want to be or what I don't want to do. And um, so basically not only that happened, but then I realized that this friend of mine is not letting me down. I don't feel alone anymore because I was, uh, I had started to feel scared of feeling alone, a, a fear that a lot of us have, especially people who live in the Western world, because life there is um, after you go into college, you're basically on yourself, by yourself until you start getting married. We don't have that. Um, in America or Europe, you don't have that sense of family with you after you're, you pass 18. So all the homes are actually small units of individuals living. So this tendency of feeling alone is actually a very serious thing. Uh, but then I didn't feel alone anymore because the city was there and I actually felt it. And it, obviously it did help because um, London was a metropolitan city. It was always alive, which is again why I don't like small cities. Uh, I really do feel alone in small cities, but when it's as big as London or Toronto or New York or Tehran, I don't feel like you, I don't think you can feel alone for a second because you always know there are people outside and this city is never sleeping. And so I realized that and that was a big potential that I had discovered. I had gained so much from it and um, basically it was a city lifestyle that I had learned. I hadn't learned back in Iran because we don't have it here. We are not that connected with our city. Uh, it takes a lot of effort for you to want to put on some clothes and get out of the house, whereas um, it shouldn't be that way. It should be like you should just get out, just roll out of your home, you know, just roll out of bed. The same way you roll out of bed into your kitchen, you should roll out of your kitchen into the streets. And um, so when I moved to Tehran, when I moved back to Tehran after school, um, I had a year here. I was doing an internship program with an architecture uh, studio. And um, I started exploring Tehran, and uh, for me it was um, really um, interesting because I grew up in northern Tehran, and I was actually raised in one of those families where my parents were very protective, and they didn't want me to go out into the streets and just explore by myself. So my right to my um, uh, school was very limited. It was always um, with supervision. Even if I wanted to take the bike out, I just had to go like just a couple of streets across. I remember when I was 22 and I um, um, came to, me and my parents had came to central Tehran to go to a cafe. I didn't even know where I was. I was so disoriented in the city. And that's coming from a person who is usually well oriented. I can read maps really well and I can always locate myself like I can tell you where north is and south is, but I had no idea where I was. And, and so basically I had a background where I had only interacted with northern Tehran and uh, Parkway and like just my friend's house and my family's whatever uh, events and activities that they had. And um, well, that was really bad. So I had this thirst of wanting to explore this whole, this vast city and I had the tools for it and knew how to do it because I had done it before in other cities and bigger cities and uh, crazier cities. So I started doing that to Tehran and I realized that, uh, okay, one, there is a lack of information because when I was in London, there were these all these websites and all these 
digital tools that were actually uh, giving me so much freedom that I didn't have to call up someone and tell them to come with me to go to that place because I could have just gone and my freedom and my um, safety was guaranteed. But in Tehran it wasn't that, that way because the information was not complete. Um, well, thank God we had Google Maps, otherwise I really don't think this would have been possible. But um, So I started exploring and then I realized not only do we not have the information, but the, my friends and my family and the people that I keep ta talking to, uh, who I, whom I keep telling about these potentials that I'm finding in Tehran, don't know about it. And some of them don't even believe it. The ones that do believe it, they don't care. They um, they feel like the qualities of these activities that are in the city aren't good enough for them to want to participate in it. And they would, uh, well, this should be reminded that I came from a society that was mainly spending their times at home and like gatherings and events and pride. That's how our leisure times were being spent. So there was this, I would call it a potential, I would call it a problem, they call it market gaps, um, but there was this thing that um, basically encouraged me and back then my partner to want to focus on this and to want to bring awareness to this life that Tehran has. Uh, later on we realized that this is a problem and uh, later on we learned how to fix the problem without only resonating to a group of intellectuals or urban designers or uh, let's say a, a community of artists and um, in, again intellectuals who know that this problem exists but we want everyone to know that this problem exists and we want everyone to want to target it and to want to build that relationship with the city so that they could both start benefiting from it the way I benefited greatly from those cities that I lived in for such a small period of time and the way that I later on realized that um, it could actually help the city grow because once you have all these people engaged in the making of these cities and the life that's driven into it and um, through technology and the, uh, with the theories of smart cities and um, cities being built bottom up, you can actually help with the growth of the city once you start close it. Once you get people to, uh, to actually start um, uh, making all this data and etc and etc, but it all starts from closing this gap and actually wanting people to care and to want to be inside the city. So I guess that's where it all started and um, yes, you could say that as a result, unification is something that we do target because our language is um, uh, focusing on it in some ways. Uh, or a lot of other problems, but um, we can't say that that's, one, that's the main problem that we're trying to solve. We're very focused on closing these gaps and building uh, sustainable and strong relationships between the city and the local. Between the city and the people who live in, uh, in the big city. So, uh, are you targeting uh, tourists as well, or is this just only for the... No, no, because um, it's two different businesses. It's not just the translation. And uh, it's it's very more it's more important for us to target our locals and want to empower them so that the tourists can ask them. You know, we I'm not saying that we might not uh, launch an English version of Pia then want to target locals, but that's really not our objective right now because um, there's a lot of work to do. We're not going to be starting that anytime soon. Uh, so, what about different cities in the, in the country? Yes, definitely. That's something that we're um, focusing on. And um, we're probably going to start um, moving and um, going to other cities in '98, so that's next year. Okay, 2019. Okay. So, um, can you explain a little bit more about your application? Because, uh, like you know, for some of the people that might not know what PLA is, like I want you to kind of explain to me, like when you go inside the application, what do you basically expect to happen? Yeah, okay, so uh, that's a really good question right after the other question that I just answered. So I told you about the whole problem and what we're trying to do, but the thing is we realized down the road that people cannot resonate with that. And um, it's not a need for people who have um, for centuries maybe not practiced living in the city uh, to want to start doing it now. So. Um, we start communicating with them uh, and wanting them to actually pay attention to this and telling them of the benefits of connecting with cities, etc. Then we realize that they just don't care. There's an early, uh, early majority that, not an early majority, like some early adapters who do care about this, but they're very few. And if we want to have a mass market penetration, that's not the message that's going to get us there. 
And then we realize that it's about leisure. It's about um, what you're going to do with your free time. And we're just telling you to do it in the city instead of playing with your PlayStation or inviting people to come to your homes or so many other ways that we spend or watching TV series or movies, etc., whatever. Just do it in your city. And um, to be here today, especially with the launch of our next version, which is coming and which is going to um, get released in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's a platform, it's an application, our website's coming up soon also. It's a place where you just go there to find things to do with your free time inside the city. And these things could be recommendations to um, places where you could go to, uh, to eat, to see, to be in a park, to walk, um, to learn stuff in museums, uh, to uh, go to events. These are all types of cultural, non-cultural, um, food, food events, uh, artistic events. Um, go to galleries, just um, go uh, for photography, whatever. There are some, basically we have up to 43 subcategories of things that there, you could do in Tehran that we uh, create content, we um, tell people about them, and we basically recommend it to them. So has this, been, has this idea been implemented in like other countries? Or? Uh, well, the idea of location-based services, um, so basically, um, in order to know Piada, you must know um, um, what it's formed of. We have a section of where we're listing places, we're recommending basically places. So that's a location-based service um, type of application. So similar to that, nationally we have uh, applications like Kiko Justam Ro, uh, Data Shah. So basically they're like listing directories. And um, there's uh, and our foreign applications, again, Google Maps is doing that um, in another way, Foursquare is doing it in another way, or Yelp is doing it. Um, but that's only one of our offerings. And next to that, we have events where we're basically promoting events and we're going to be soon selling tickets of events. And um, so that's again nationally, you have TVOD, Iran Concert, etc., doing it. And internationally, event box, etc., whatever, so many types of businesses that are targeting that market. But again, that's also another part of our offerings. Um, next to that, we have deals. Deals of, again, locations where restaurants, cafes, or stores where they offer deals. And again, business model is similar to, you could say, Groupon or Tahrifan. Um, next to that, we have routings where we have um, city tours. Uh, currently, nationally, we don't have a digital uh, format of that. I think we were one of the first people to start it. But uh, we have the still the old school way of doing it where you just go to a um, tour agency or like an um, entertainment agency, Gaddish agency, and you ask them to set you up with a tour and they take you on an excursion for a day. And um, so that's also, again, one of our offerings. And, um, and um, we're also going to be creating um, fun with our own team. So our marketing and experience team is going to start creating packages, short-term packages, where you can uh, experience uh, different activities in the city from the set of curations that we've done. Uh, so all that together makes Piade. And all that together in one platform, in one business, we have not seen. Uh, which is why, another reason why it took us so long because we've started our business for three and a half years now. Um, basically, you can say we've started our business for three and a half years, but this idea has been in development for three and a half years. And it took us long to realize exactly what we're supposed to be doing. We tested so many different approaches, so many different messages, and uh, we were really focused on building our team and our strategies. But then um, altogether, like in the past six or nine months, it all finally came to us that, okay, so this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is the message. And uh, to what we've established today, this platform that's going to be um, be an offering from Piada, similar to this, we haven't seen yet nationally or internationally. I see. Now, since you're an entrepreneur, I'm just going to ask you this, because you had an idea and you let it just let it go, basically, and you expanded on it, and then other people started joining you because they loved the idea very much, I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, this is my question, basically. The thing is, I have an idea for an app, for example, just let that be, and uh, so who do I go to, like, you know, as an entrepreneur, fine, what is the next step for me? I have a great idea, I want to make that into an app or a website, but I don't really know what to do next. 
Well, it really depends on what the idea is and what field it's going to be growing in. So, for example, if it's in technology, um, obviously after uh, so any idea, any business is made out of different sections. There's always the business business side and the business model. Uh, there's the technological logistics. There's the design. There's the marketing. There's the sales. There's the all these different departments. And I think as an entrepreneur, you really just have to start with what you have. And, and so what's your uh, distinguishing factor as a person, not as a business? For example, for me, um, I had a background in architecture, so I knew graphic design a little bit. And so I started with designing the application myself. And then I didn't have a background in tech, so I start, but I knew obviously this design has to be developed, so I started finding a tech team. I didn't work on the business part of Pieta for months, even for like a year, because um, I was really focused on establishing what it is trying to do. And again, something that I was really uh, good at was photography. And um, so I started uh, taking photos and I started, uh, I was also really good at um, putting concepts together, I guess that creation side, like I would see something, I would see a cafe and... I knew why that cafe is good today in Tehran because what that design is representing, what that concept is representing, and I could capture that and I could communicate that with people. And so I started with the things that I had. And I would, I think any entrepreneur has to just start with the things that they have. And then um, and with the next step, start realizing what they don't have and what they need to acquire. That acquisition could be either through learning or it could be through adding people to the team. Yeah. Okay, fine. So thank you. Thank you for like you know you're sharing your experience. Yeah. Thank you so much. So you have a very young core basically working for you. Um, do you think that they hundred percent believe in what you're doing? Um, I wouldn't say a hundred, but I would say with a good. Um, with a high level of confidence that they have a lot of belief in what we're doing because that's one of the main um, filtering recruitment factors that, that we have established here. Um, we uh, definitely want to make sure that the people that we hire either have the same vision or, uh, for example, if they're going to be a developer in our tech team, they really want to be a good developer. and what they believe in is being a really good developer. So their um, objectives in life have to be aligned with our business. Uh, because we know that um, if they're going to be working for us, they're not going to be working the way they should be working. And But if we can get them to work for themselves and what they believe in, then they're definitely going to be working the way they should be working. Yeah. So can we give a little bit of a break? We'll be back after a message from the sponsor of the podcast. Hey, so um, where are we, Ima? We are at the Vima headquarters. We specialize in building prefabricated and fast-track buildings with more than 50 implemented projects. That's amazing. Yes. During years, Vima has been focused on its values, such as respecting human beings, paying special attention to nature and natural resources, using innovation and new technologies, and of course, Increasing the quality of life in construction industry. You can contact us via our website, vima-ir.com. That's uh, vima-ir.com? Yep. That's great, Ima. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Every time I get a confirmation from my guests that they'll be on a podcast, I go onto Twitter and Instagram and ask people if they want to ask a question from the upcoming guest. So I'd like to thank Atta Berenjian, Fashad Negahdar, and Shaigan Halaj for the great questions they asked. Let's get to them. So I'm going to go into the Instagram questions, basically. Fine. Uh, they're not much, but um, they are a little bit challenging. Might be challenging for you. And if you want, you can just like say skip it. Like I'm not going to answer that question. Okay. So the first question that comes uh, from Fashad uh, Negahda is that he says, um, "How can an application introduce itself to the market, and uh, what is our market reaction to new applications?" New applications in what way? What is it? And like, you know, if, again, if you have an idea, you're coming, coming up with, with an app, you, you know, how, like, what is the reaction of people? Oh, okay. So this is a really good question. It's a marketing question, basically. So, um, 
So, um, before anything, I think um, we should get some facts straight about marketing. Um, I did not know anything about marketing, but I've learned to love it, and I feel like it's one of the most, um, it's um, the fairest one of all, in my belief. I really enjoy the time that I spend with our marketing team working on ideas and campaigns, and apart from the fact that I take a lot of pleasure in building the app and the design and what it's supposed to be doing, Next to that, I love marketing it. The reason for that is because I um, I realized that marketing is a grand tool for uh, cultural development. And basically, if you use marketing in the right way and not the manipulative way that every marketer or everyone who thinks of marketing thinks of it, uh, you could actually uh, be uh, holding a very powerful weapon where you could start enlightening a lot of people and basically uh, helping them develop and uh, what we're trying to do here because the message of our um, application because what it's focusing on is in uh, aligned with development self-development and city development so we actually have no other option but to use it for this tool uh, and it's actually very interesting so uh, basically mm, uh, that that being said um, um, I would also like to add to it that um, in the modern world today, um, because we've become really immune to marketing messages and sales messages. And so basically the sales uh, message that would work on us 50 years ago definitely not work today. So um, customers have become more and more aware of the fact that people are trying to sell them stuff and are trying to manipulate them. And so they've started responding less. Whereas they have started responding more to corporations or organizations who actually have a valuable message to deliver. So you today, you actually need to start talking, uh, you need to start communicating with values in, in opposed to uh, what you're missing out on, I can give you this, so, so that you don't miss out on it anymore. So um, all that being said, um, the, there's actually a very um, logical way of um, basically say decoding the market mm -hmm. and that is the fact that every market has a potential way of um, interacting with a new product it's called the diffusion adoption curve I think and um, it's a very um, I wouldn't say scientific but you could say a well-established approach where every market whether it's a market size of 100 people or like hundreds of million like 100 million people it has a very specific way of adopting a new product. It goes like this. 2% of that market are innovators towards that product. So they are the first layer of people who would actually go for that product. They have a very specific way of um, interacting with the products that they like. And um, for example, the people who first started buying the iPhone uh, were very big risk takers. Uh, they wanted to be leaders in that industry, which was a technology industry. And uh, they um, had high, that they had big pockets. So basically, they could afford to put their money in something that has net yet not been proven valuable. Uh, after that, two percent, there's a thirteen to eighteen percent who are early adopters. So uh, early adopters are also very risk, big risk takers. Uh, they're usually leaders in their industry. So I would listen to an early adopter. Um, whereas I may not be an opinionated person myself in the field of technology, but for example, my friend Panhom knows a lot about technology, so he's usually an opinion leader, so if he tells me something, I will listen to him. And um, these people, um, are the, the, how they are distinguished from the innovators is that they actually do read reviews and they take a, li a little bit of time thinking about it, but a lot less time thinking about it than the other the, the people who come in the following. So after this 13 to 18%, and you're actually going to start entering a mass market. And it's divided into an early majority, early majority and late majority. Each of them represent 34% of your market size. Um, the early majority, and this actually tip from uh, the conversion from uh, the early adopters to the early majority, uh, only happens 
if you have the early majority by your side, early adopters by your side, telling the early majority that they should use your product. So usually um, people, consumers never listen. I'm not, I'm not gonna say never, but 50% of them don't really care about what you're telling them about your product, but they care about what others are saying about it. So what you need to do as a business, you can um, really engineer this, and if you're smart about it, you should enter your market step by step along the way, not only getting the innovators to use your product, but to start talking about it, to start creating engagement around your product to be your evangelist, basically. And then after you have your innovators, you should focus on your early adapters. And after that, you need to get your early adapters to t start engaging with your product and start writing reviews and start, for example, in our applications, these are the people who are, we need to be our um, review writers or our commentators or the ones that need to add locations to Piave and all these different things that we can get them to do. In addition to that, all of them have high... Um, social networking tools. We want them to start talking about Piada on their social network. We are going to encourage them to do that. And if they start doing that, then we have a good chance of getting the early majority, early majority to basically join our community. But if they don't do that, we're not going to be able to win over the early majority. So again, like any other marketing uh, efforts, which is um, not being done correctly, especially in Iran, uh, the way that we market our products today in this country is very wrong. For example, how many billboards, billboards have you seen where you are seeing the product for the first time on that billboard and you have never heard of it? And that is not really going to resonate with you because you're just going to hear about, okay, the market awareness might drastically increase to like 5 million in a day, but how much conversion is that going to bring for your product? How many actual users or customers are you going to gain? And um, so obviously that's just throwing away money you need to start small step by step like in small baby steps you need to be true to your customers really tell them what you're going to be giving them why they should be using you why they should be trusting you and get them to start talking about you and if you become successful in that you can start building a sustainable business so, so I'm like as a podcaster, I, ch I should just continue what I'm doing and just hope for people to Yeah, enjoy. I think you should just continue what you're doing and you should get people, like for example, um, in opposed to going to spe uh, speaking with someone who's um, very um, popular, like he's a big public figure, but doesn't really care about your podcast at all but just getting them on board because you think it's going to bring you engagement, go and talk to someone who's less of a public figure but cares about your pod podcast. So after their interview with you, they would go and sit and talk about it. They would like, I just met this guy today. He's so interested in what he's doing and this and that. But yeah, this is his Instagram page and you should start following him. I like his podcast. So um, the way the cities are built bottom-up, the way the communities are built, relationships are built bottom-up, again, marketing is also built bottom-up. You can't just put it on the table and be like, this is it, look at it. You should make them want to think that they thought about looking at it themselves. Yeah. Fine, thank you. Again, very thorough explanation. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, the next question uh, is from Atal Belengian, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And he says, what is your business model? I'm, I'm, I'm not like, you know, sure if you can, like, like if you don't want to answer that, it's completely yeah. fine. And do you actually make money from uh, it? Okay, that's a very good question. It's recently I've been answering a lot of those questions, and before I go ahead and answer, oh, first I'm going to answer it, then I'm going to add this comment to it. Uh, so our business model is uh, from the revenue that we are going to start generating from um, local businesses. We give them services where they can start connecting with their target audience, create content, and basically get their advertisement out there and uh, start building meaningful relationships with their customers. Uh, marketing offers, basically, to local businesses. Uh, it's a very good revenue model, um, and uh, we're going to be creating a lot of revenue from it, and we're going to be turning into profitability in the next uh, 12 months, 12 to 16 months. And um, But we haven't started this, um, basically we haven't started generating revenue from Piada for the first three years, and we're just starting this model in day. The reason behind that is, uh, is uh, the, actually the comment part that I'm going to add to this question. Um, the reason is that, um, well, I always go ahead and uh, explain this, saying that what's the difference between an entrepreneur and uh, versus like a businessman or a uh, tajer, or I don't know the English terms of tajer, kaseb, or even dalla. 
there's a difference between these people. Yes, all of them are going to be working on businesses, all, all of them are going to be generating revenues, and all of them are going to be having customers. But what are they actually supposed to do? I accept, uh, expect a businessman and intelligent concept to be focusing on creating revenue from either um, co companies that they've been given to through their parents or stores that they've been given to or skills that they have and they feel like that could actually help them and make ends meet. But a job of an entrepreneur is not to do that. A job of an entrepreneur is to see the problems that are in the current social, economical situations that we're living and to actually want to target um, working on those problems through innovative ways. Today, it's mostly technology because technology has been proven to, to be very scalable. And scalable means targeting the problem in a much bigger, with much bigger efforts and, and affecting that many more people into wanting to um, live a better life. Uh, but the job of an entrepreneur is not their purpose in life is not to make money. Their purpose in life is to have a vision, want, and usually that vision is aligned with making the world, a segment of the world, a better place in the industry that they think they have a talent in, they have a vision in. And one of the, uh, one of the benefits of becoming successful with that vision is that you may end up making a lot of money. But we never had people like, for example, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, or Elon Musk going that, I want to wake up today and I want to make a lot of money. Uh, they had visions. They wanted to make products where it changed the lives of you and me today. And yes, because their visions were very right and because they worked there, um, basically, um, they worked very hard for it in order to... Um, um, in order to get their products out there in the market and what their solution offering was a very correct solution offering, they started making billions and billions of dollars. So I think it's very important for us to, I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying that, uh, what was his name, Amin Adi? Uh, I'm not going to say Atta's question is um, out of context, but I really want to create this awareness generally within our city and society is that entrepreneurs are not here to make money, and the ones who are here to make money are, I think, wasting their time of being an entrepreneur. They can just go ahead and just make a business, create, um, like basically stop with the drama and just focus on making the money. But um, an ecosystem that's reserved for entrepreneurs is a place where people with um, um, all these uh, like all these um, they have uh, concerns for the world they have visions for the world they're here to work on them day and night and that's what they're trying to achieve okay so um, like how, because the people who are working here they need to be paid right? yeah so basically what we've done mm, is that we were focusing on our uh, bigger problem and we had an option to start generating revenue very, very early on. Uh, and we actually started doing it, but then we um, realized that it's gonna, all our effort is going on generating revenue versus creating the right solutions and right messages and right infrastructure and right growth pattern and strategies. And that this is gonna turn us into a very short term Instagram-based business, whereas this is going to take us where we need to be going. So we stopped generating our revenue, started focusing on um, building our roots and our infrastructure and our, working on our solutions and market. And uh, we then realized um, that it actually um, it was, it was proved to be a much better strategy. And because we were very um, uh, lucky to be working in an industry where the concept of an investor is a well-known concept, we had angel investors very early on. They supported us with the funds. And very recently, we, we've uh, had a crowdfunding campaign where we're going to be working with um, VCs. And thank God that a lot of well-known VCs have uh, wanted to invest in Piada at a valuation that um, is, um, I'm not going to say it's too generous, but is um, something that makes me happy at the end of the day. And um, um, basically, it's showing that uh, the fact that we didn't just go to revenue straight off and decided to focus on a business that has a lot of future in opposed to a short-term outcome was something that, at the end of the day, even investors, people who, who are here to make money, were on board with. I understand.
So again, like the people who are working here at the moment, they are thinking of the future, basically. Yeah, but everyone's getting paid. We have a very high cost, monthly cost burn rate, and uh, our angel investor is paying it up to okay. And obviously they're getting shares. And currently, um, the money that they've spent in Piada today is worth three times more than it they actually spent. Okay, that's that's amazing. And uh, I think this is going to be the last question. Okay, I have asked this question on the podcast. Uh, Shaygan, uh, sorry, Shaygan Hadlod says uh, basically where uh, where where this idea came from. So I, I think we've talked about yeah, it on the podcast. And um, somebody has has a very funny question. I'm going to ask this question. Uh, but they have asked me not to mention their names. Obviously, uh, they have asked if you are single. Uh, <laughs> no, I have a boyfriend. Okay, yeah, I see. So there you go. Four years. <laughs> I understand. Okay, fine. So, uh, thank you so much. I, I think I had a question. Yes. Uh, this is going to be the last question I'm going to ask. I don't think it's fair that they ask me the, this question and I can't know their name. Fine, I can tell you after the podcast, I guess. Yeah, I can't tell you right now. Because, uh, like, you know, this is going to be like, you know, I don't want to backstab them. Uh, you know, this is the first time I'm asking people to uh, you know, ask me questions. Okay. Fine. So, um, you are living in a country which is not, like, you know, a lot of, uh, we have a lot of women basically working in, in this country that are thinking that they are, like, you know, they sh- should be at a place that they're not right now. So, they're thinking of the future great future which is ahead and I can see that a lot of things are changing in the moment like you know we are like you know as a nation we are valuing women more and that's that's amazing to see fine yeah. uh, I'm, um, I'm I'm not gonna call them feminists or anything I'm just gonna call them some people who think and they understand the fact that women and men should be equal fine so uh, we don't really have a lot of successful women in this country and but and you could be like you know one of the few um, do you think, like, you've had a lot of, <laughs> why are you laughing? Okay, do you think that you've had a lot of, like, you know, obstacles to overcome to become, uh, you know, the successful? Um, well, because this is also something that I really like commenting on. I honestly don't feel like there's any obstacle out there for wanting to work as a woman in business or any other field. Because maybe there was, obviously there was, like, 50 years ago. For Iran, yes, 20 years ago. Um, for the states, like, yes, in the 1950s, the circumstances were different, but today, internationally, I'm not going to say internationally, but I know that our nation is one of those nations that pretty much um, has, um, uh, d- uh, doesn't have the legal restrictions anymore, but the restrictions are mostly in the mindset of the women, still there. And like you said, that we have a lot of people thinking that they should be in positions, but they're not. And the only reason, I maybe a lot of people are not going to like what I'm going to say, but the only reason is because they have not tried hard enough to get there. I really don't feel like there are that many restrictions for women out there to not want to be able to achieve what you can achieve today. Uh, I actually think there are a lot of opportunities for women out there because of, of the fact that we've all become gender... Uh, equality aware um, some you can see some men and companies and organizations giving uh, room uh, have, being forced to give room to women because they don't want to uh, be questioned as places where they don't uh, see fairness in this so you also have a lot of opportunities where you're actually not supposed to be getting that opportunity but you're getting it just because you're a woman so when you're living in these kind of circumstances when um, you have phrases like ladies first always hearing it constantly I really don't think that you should think that there are that many obstacles and I think you should get out there and fight for it if you look at what happened in America uh, I would say like back in the 50s yes you had lots of women who their mindset was set on the fact that we should go to college and that we should go and find beautiful husband and make beautiful children and just have a happy life and they were very happy and obviously yes there were a lot of social concerns around that and social problems but then you uh, had the women who we could today call them feminists I guess who started a movement and started showing the world that they can also add values 
And not only did they start a movement, they actually did that. They actually started adding values. And they, so you had those women who would protest, but then you had those women who were working, who were working very hard, balancing between wanting to be a mother and wanting to be a wife and wanting to be a successful person and have a successful career. And those are the women today who are on the list of Fortune 500 companies with very powerful positions. And those women today standing in those positions have completely uh, wiped the concern of any human being in America whether if a woman can be successful or not because they showed that they can be successful. But those protests don't show a woman success. They just say that we want to be heard. Okay, one, I think enough people have heard us and I think it's time for us to show that we can be successful and I feel like there's still a lot to do and focus on that in Iran. And I hope that um, me telling people this can encourage them and actually remove that layer of fear that they may have and um, they should see the obstacles as an obstacle for a human being and not for one. Everyone is going to have obstacles in any career path that they choose. So they should just work hard. They should work hard, yeah. It's, it's great to see that people like you exist because I'm pretty sure, like, you know, there will be a lot of people, you know, listening to the podcast saying, no, that's not true. Like, I've had my experience, yeah. Yeah, we've had, um, actually, I'm not going to say, I'm saying this is my experience. And um, we've uh, had conversations with other female entrepreneurs where they actually have different experiences. They've actually hands-on experienced the fact that uh, they've been discriminated, but I haven't. And um, the fact that I've been privileged not to have that experience makes me strong and makes me be able to say this today. But I think that this message, message, the message that I'm saying, should also be heard. We should stop focusing on the obstacles and start thinking of all the opportunities that we can create for ourselves as a human being, and whether it's a woman or a man. Okay, so thank you. Yeah, that was, that was amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, do you have anybody in mind that you want to invite to the podcast and talk to, you know, have them talk to you? Well, uh, I don't have anybody in mind, but I have a topic in mind, and I think a topic um, coming hand to hand in hand with the topic of uh, unification comes the topic of communities. And I think that, that another thing that our social uh, life doesn't have in Iran is that we don't have strong communities, diverse communities, and that's something I think that all of us could benefit from if you do find the right person who can talk about that. Thank you. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Great conversation. God, time flies. Um, I wanted to take a break in the middle of the conversation, but when I finally did, I realized we've been talking for 40 or so minutes. You don't get tired of listening to someone who has the desire to express themselves. I hope you enjoyed the conversation too. See you soon. Thank you for tuning in.